You may be seated, family. Always good to see you on during the midweek on Wednesday night. Great to have all of you here this evening. Amy, I'm going to invite you to come and join us again. Excited about having her back on the panel this evening. Kelly's going to join me. I hope everyone's having a good week uh, up to this point and getting geared up, ready for a big weekend and for Sunday. And just, uh, I just pray that, I pray that uh, we pack the place, pack the place out with Amen. people ready to. Ready to meet with Jesus. Amen. 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 There's kind of that part of me, you know, that I have to really pray for at times. It gets a little bit facetious. You know, I've been working on that for years, and the Lord just continues to, to help me because we're going to have a little selfie place out there for people to take pictures. And of course, it'll, you know, be for Easter, you know, 2023. And I want to, you know, have Easter 2023, but on the other side, it says, hey, we'll be here next Sunday too. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I was like, yeah, that, that's probably not anointed. That's probably, that's probably, uh, uh, that's probably not the right thing to say, but, uh, but we're not going to say that on Sunday. We're not. We're going to welcome everybody with open arms. Well, there's that tendency, you know, to say, you know, but we welcome everybody. So whoever, so make sure on Sunday, welcome everybody, open arms, and we want to see God do an awesome work. Sons and daughters are coming home. I keep yes. saying that, and we're believing that, and maybe, maybe this Sunday we'll see some come home. Amen. Amen. So that's, that's why we do. We're going to be here. I tell people that all the time. Pastor, we're going to have to come see you sometime. I said, well... We're still there. We're going to be there. So you just come on anytime. You come on anytime. Hey, let's open up our Bibles. Let's go to Genesis chapter number 31. We have a lot of ground to cover once again this evening. I know bringing three chapters uh, at you is a lot, but uh, we just, we do, we've kind of outlined where we're going as the year unfolds, and, and uh, we want to try our best to hold to that, but at the same time, not get too big of a hurry. So we're trying to break this up, just being led by God and, and how the stories unfold. And there's a couple of things that are happening here in Jacob's life tonight, but uh, you'll see, you know, of course, how this flows together. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter number 31. And we know that what has happened, Jacob at this point has acquired much wealth. He's ready to make a move. He's ready to make a move back to his home. And so let's pick up the story and we'll, we'll go from there. Genesis chapter 31, verse number one. But Jacob soon learned that Laban's sons were grumbling about him. Jacob has robbed our father of everything. Well, that's a big statement, isn't it? I don't remember that happening, but Jacob has robbed our father of everything, they said. He has gained all his wealth at our father's expense. And Jacob began to notice a change in Laban's attitude toward him. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your father and grandfather and to your relatives there, and I will be with you. So Jacob called Rachel and Leah out to the field where he was watching his flock. He said to them, I have noticed that your father's attitude towards me has changed, but the God of my father has been with me. You know how hard I have worked for your father, but he has cheated me, changing my wages ten times, but God has not allowed him to do me any harm. For if he said the speckled animals will be your wages, the whole flock began to produce speckled young. And when he changed his mind and said the striped animals will be your wages, then the whole flock produced striped young. In this way, God has taken your father's animals and given them to me. One time during the mating season, I had a dream, and I saw that the male goats mating with the female goats were streaked, speckled, and spotted. Then in my dream, the angel of God said to me, Jacob, and I replied, yes, here I am. The angel said, look up, and you will see that only the streaked, speckled, and spotted males are mating with the females of your flock, for I have seen how Laban has treated you. I am the God who appeared to you at Bethel, the place where you anointed the pillar of stone and made your vow to me. Now get ready and leave this country and return to the land of your birth. Rachel and Leah, they both responded, that's fine with us. We won't inherit any of our father's wealth anyway. He has reduced our rights to those of foreign women. And after he sold us, he wasted the money you paid him for us. All the wealth God given, has given you from our father legally belongs to us and our children. So go ahead and do whatever God has told you. So Jacob put his wives and children on camels and he drove all his livestock in front of him. He packed all the belongings he had acquired in Paddan Aram. And on that word right there, because I'm trying to be big on pronouncing the words right, you heard me say Paddan Aram. It depends on what version you're listening to. If you're listening to a narrative, some of them will say Paddan Aram. Some of them will say Paddan Aram. So I went to a few places, and most of them kind of land on Paddan Aram. 
if, if that's important to you. So if you hear me say that differently a couple of times, as we read these names, I'm trying to learn and understand how to pronounce these properly. And so they set out for the land of Canaan where his father Isaac lived. At the time they left, Laban was some distance away shearing his sheep. Rachel stole her father's household idols and took them with her. Jacob outwitted Laban the Aramean, for they set out secretly and never told Laban they were leaving. So Jacob took all his possessions with him. He crossed the Euphrates River, heading for the hill country of Gilead. Three days later, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. So he gathered a group of his relatives, and he set out in hot pursuit. He caught up with Jacob seven days later in the hill country of Gilead. But the previous night, God appeared to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream and told him, I'm warning you, leave Jacob alone. Laban caught up with Jacob as he was camped in the hill country of Gilead, and he set up his camp not far from Jacob's. What do you mean by stealing away like this? Laban demanded. How dare you drag my daughters away like prisoners of war? Why did you slip away secretly? Why did you steal away? And, and why didn't you say you wanted to leave? I would have given you a farewell feast with singing and music accompanied by tambourines and harps. Why didn't you let me kiss my daughters and grandchildren and tell them goodbye? You have acted very foolishly. I could destroy you, but the God of your father appeared to me last night and warned me, leave Jacob alone. I can understand your feeling that you must go and your intense longing for your father's home. But why have you stolen my gods? I rushed away because I was afraid, Jacob answered. And I thought you would take your daughters from me by force. But as for your gods, see if you can find them and let the person who has taken them, let them die. And if you find anything else that belongs to you, identify it before all these relatives of ours and I will give it back. But Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the household idols. Laban went first into Jacob's tent to search there, then into Leah's and then into the tents of the two servant wives. But he found nothing. Finally, he went into Rachel's tent. But Rachel had taken the household idols and hidden them in her camel saddle, and now she was sitting on them. When Laban had thoroughly searched her tent without finding them, she said to her father, Please, sir, forgive me if I do not get up for you, for I'm having my monthly period. So Laban continued his search, but he could not find the household idols. Then Jacob became very angry, and he challenged Laban. What's my crime, he demanded. What have I done wrong to make you chase after me as though I were a criminal? You have rummaged through everything I own. Now show me what you've found that belongs to you. Set it out here in front of us before our relatives for all to see. Let them judge between us. For 20 years I have been with you, caring for your flocks. In all that time, your sheep and goats never miscarried. In all those years, I never used a single ram of yours for food. If any were attacked and killed by wild animals, I never showed you the carcass and I asked you to reduce or and, and to ask you to reduce the count of your flock. No, I took the loss myself. You made me pay for every stolen animal, whether it was taken in broad daylight or in the dark of night. I worked for you through the scorching heat of the day and through cold and sleepless nights. Yes, for twenty years I slaved in your house. I worked for fourteen years earning your two daughters, and then six more years for your flock. And you change my wages 10 times. In fact, if the God of my father had not been on my side, the God of Abraham, the fearsome God of Isaac, you would have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen your abuse and my hard work. That is why he appeared to you last night and rebuked you. You think there was 20 years of a little bit of frustration worked up in this, in this statement? Probably so. Then Laban replied to Jacob, these women are my daughters. These children are my grandchildren. These flocks are my flocks. In fact, everything you see is mine. But what I can do now, but what can I do now about my daughters and their children? So come, let's make a covenant, you and I, and it will be a witness to our commitment. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a monument. Then he told his family members, gather some stones. So they gathered stones and piled them in a heap. Then Jacob and Laban sat down beside the pile of stones to, to eat a covenant meal. To commemorate the event, Laban called the place Jagar Seadutha, which means witness pile in Aramaic. And Jacob called it Galid, which means witness pile in Hebrew. Then Laban declared, this pile of stones will stand as a witness to remind us of the covenant we have made today. This explains why it is called Galid, witness pile. But it was also called Mizpah, which means watchtower. For Laban said, 
may the Lord keep watch between us to make sure that we keep this covenant when we are out of each other's sight. If you mistreat my daughters or if you marry other wives, God will see it, God will see it even if no one else does. He is a witness to this covenant between us. See this pile of stones, Laban continued, and see this monument I have set between us? They stand between us as a witness of our vows. I will never pass this pile of stones to harm you, and you must never pass these stones or this monument to harm me. I call on God of our ancestors, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of my grandfather Nahor, to serve as judge between us. So Jacob took an oath before the fearsome God of his father Isaac to respect the boundary line. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice to God there on the mountain and invited everyone to a covenant feast. After they had eaten, they spent the night on the mountain. Laban got up early the next morning and he kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and he blessed them. Then he left and he returned home. Lot spoken there in that lengthy chapter. And Amy, I'm going to ask you tonight if you want to lead out and then we'll just kind of join in with you. Well, as, as we're going to read these three chapters, I really kind of struggled with Jacob this week just because we know of God's promise and everything that he has done for Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. Um, but the Lord has been opening my eyes to some other things. So when I, when I was reading through it and um, at the beginning of 31, it, it talked about how um, Jacob... Jacob um, noticed that his in-laws were not taking kindly to him. There were, it said that, that he noticed that they were looking less favorably than before. And it kind of showed me that, you know, God told him six years ago that he was supposed to go. And so it took him a while. I mean, he was, I, I don't know, do you think that he was supposed to have gone six years before and not waited? I think as we go through these Next two chapters along with that, we're going to see something that's constant in Jacob's life right now, that he is slow on the go. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I was wondering. But Procrastinator. Right. But it finally took something to happen for Jacob to see that he needed to go. Um, his eyes were opening, opening to him leaving, preparing him for a move. You know, 20 years is a long time to get used to a place. Even though it wasn't a good place, you get comfortable in the not good. And so it took um, his in-laws to not looking favorably on him for him to finally see, I've got to go. And then um, I, I looked up the verse, um, God helps us be uncomfortable, Deuteronomy 32, 11, like an angel that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wing to catch them and carries them aloft. It seems like you know, God had to help him see it's time to go. It's time to move. Um, and that's that first part. That's what I saw. Yeah. And in that first part right there too, I mean, of course, thinking about that with Jacob, I thought that too, but also then Laban, because Laban has been deceptive too throughout this relationship. We know that we see that, but he has had, you know, some also some goodness and kindness towards, you know, his nephew. But here, we see envy get in the way because Jacob had not stolen any of the goods. He had acquired this by the wisdom and knowledge that God had given him. You know, we talked about last week, you know, how he had put them before the trough and how they made it and how, you know, he was able to pick out the ones that were going to be his. Well, we see that in this chapter, he, he received some divine revelation there from God and some promises of God, how he, would, how he would acquire that. So we know that he came by that honestly, but the sons, uh, they have a lot of envy there and a lot of jealousy. And look how that has now impacted Laban. And so that just kind of, just a small thought here is that when we surround ourselves with people around us that have that type of attitude, you know, whether it's envy or another type of attitude, we begin to reflect that. Yeah. And so, you know, he was influenced by his son's envy because he really wasn't, you know, there was some, maybe you saw a hint of it, but, you know, with all some of the deceiving acts. But uh, I, just, I just saw that too, how his scripture was very specific in saying, you know, that his heart has changed now. So obviously over time, we have seen how this has influenced him in a negative way. I think that speaks to you and I today. We know this. The scripture tells us, you know, bad company corrupts good character, that it's important who we surround ourselves with. 
It's important who we're listening to. It's important that what we're taking in because we begin to reflect those that we're around, you know, with our attitudes. We may not even have that type of attitude. Just say you're around someone that's just hot-tempered all the time and really short all the time, and then all of a sudden you find yourself doing that. Well, because that's been fed into your spirit, and so you have to be cautious and be careful with those types of things. Here at the very front, Kelly, do you have anything at the very front of this that you um, want to kind of add to that? No, I just have one thing on this chapter, but I can... No, go, go ahead and kick it off. Okay. I'll follow along with you. Okay, um, the thing that I really um, keyed in on this chapter was that there were a lot of assumptions that drove the decisions people made, and and then there was a lot of escalated um, words, like at the very beginning of the chapter when um, uh, Laban's sons say, um, Jacob has robbed our father of everything. Okay, like like he hadn't robbed them of everything. So that was really, to me, a really escalated way of saying, you can say, hey, we're really not getting along with Jacob right now, but, oh, he's taken everything that, um, that our father has. And then, um, he, and then when Jacob, you know, assumes that Laban is going to try to prevent him from leaving or even take his um, daughters away, the daughters away from Jacob. And so he takes off kind of secretly. He like, he hatches the plan and they take off. And then Laban, you know, uh, uh, presumes that Jacob is who has taken his household idols. He doesn't know that, but they're gone and Jacob's gone. And so the presumption is that he took them. And so I just thought about how, um, especially between family members, you know, especially in-laws and outlaws and all of that, that we can um, assume and, and, and determine conclusions about something when we really don't have all the facts. And our assumptions a lot of times are birthed out of fear um, uh, obviously Jacob's were, he had a fear that the daughters weren't going to get to go with him. And, um, and then also, or our past experiences. And obviously Jacob had been a deceiver and he thought, Hey, somebody's pulled one over on me. I mean, I've pulled one over on somebody, maybe somebody Laban's going to try to pull one over on me. And so when we make decisions based on assumptions it really, you can see where all these situations just really escalated and kind of got out of hand. Things that we might have could have talked over or whatever, but we just let things get blown out of proportion before before we really knew what was going on. And I saw, I thought it was really good, Ecclesiastes 10, 13, and 14 says, Fools base their thoughts on foolish assumptions, so their conclusions will be wicked madness. They chatter on and on. And how many times when we make an exception is that, you know, before long it's just snowballing and snowballing. So yeah. like what you said there about fear, because fear does cause us to do those type of things. Sometimes we've seen Jacob has been spot on. Then other times he falls back into being living up to his name and been to see. Did he have to leave secretly? He didn't have to leave secretly. Why? Because he'd already been told by the Lord, mm-hmm. I will be with you. Yes. This could have been handled in a completely different way, just like we go back to the other stories in his life, because God's promise had already been given to him. I will be with you. And so it could have been handled, but here we find him again, leaving secretly. Uh, what do you have there on that, Amy? you have any more on that? I had the same idea that Jacob acted hastily and because of fear. Yeah. And Isaiah 28, 16 says, whoever relies on the stone, the rock, God will not panic. We will not panic if we have faith in God. Yeah, that's we good. have to remind ourselves yeah. that. But even though, I always put over here in multiple times, even though Jacob acts wrongly, God protects him. God protects him. And that's what keeps coming through is it doesn't matter. God is with him. And that's what our song tonight kept saying over and over, that he will always be there. Yeah. I I like this because when we're using the word fear, um, I think there's probably a lot of us in here who say, I'm not a fearful person. If you're talking about, you know, we can kind of joke about maybe being afraid of spiders or the dark or heights or something like that. But we're, we're talking about a fear that, that something in our life that's so valuable and important to us, and we're not sure if we have the ability to protect it or we have the ability to provide or we have this uncertainty and we know what's going on. We can all be struck with fear, and that fear does cause us many times to act outside of where God wants us to be. I mean... We, you know, we're, we don't have time here to go around the table tonight, but just think to yourself that many times in life 
that you have acted hastily, that you have acted in a way because you were fearful, because maybe you couldn't control the circumstance or, or whatever it may have been, and you really stepped outside of where God wanted you to be because you just needed to trust. I know I've done that. I'm sure that we all have done that, and we probably have a testimony in the story, but we're learning here. Uh, I mean, we can do that in our home, our relationships, our finances, uh, our church, our church family. If we feel something's been taken away from us, we don't understand, we, we, just, we can get to this place where we're really not acting in the character that God had placed inside of us. So that's, that's really good. Do you all have anything else there? What do you think about Rachel and what she done? I think she's been... <laughs> She's been around Jacob too long. <laughs> I, so I looked at that. I don't know if you guys found anything. There, there are several thoughts of why she took the idols. Yeah. One of the Jewish stories is, is that she perhaps took them because she didn't want her father to go to these idols. Mm-hmm. Other places said that these perhaps were worth some income, so she just wanted to take them for income. But I found that hard to believe because he has, they have so much wealth now, of which they've acquired. Could have been that maybe she was going to go to them and use them secretly. I don't know about that one as well. I, I don't really have an answer. I just wanted to see if you guys did any. Well, when I looked, because I, you know, you always wonder why did she do that? And I even put, even after everything she saw and witnessed and how Jacob was blessed and all of that, she was still more influenced. And I thought, will she more influenced because of her father? I mean, it shows again how important parents and their belief and their faith and their actions are. Yeah. And we have to really remember. But um, the other thing I found was she had a grudge against her dad. Yeah. And she reacted that. out yeah, against him. She and did. she took obviously what was important to him because he made a point to say, you or who stole my idols? Yeah, because she's, she's already said when her and Leah said they both responded, you know, they, what they were saying is we have no inheritance because he has no money. You know, he, he hasn't anything left to give us because he needs what he has. You know, the livestock that he has, the wealth that he has, he's going to need it to carry on. And so you do, you do feel that. Go ahead, Kelly. You were going to say something. No, oh, the only other thing I was going to say before we moved on to the next chapter was um, that the covenant that they make at the end, that just what I studied, and I don't know if what you guys saw, but that this wasn't really like a peace treaty between them. This was really a, there's a lot of grudge between the two families, and I'm not going to come and hurt you if you don't come and hurt me, and we're just going to say we're going to separate here. So sometimes I've heard so many people quote that Mizpah or whatever as kind of a good thing. The Lord watch over between me and you when we're apart or whatever. But then if you come and really read the context of that, it isn't a positive it isn't a thing. thing. It is not a peace treaty. No. It is a lack of trust in those words. Yeah, completely. And Laban, <laughs> Did you see here how he's trying to be the good guy in all of this yeah. and how he approached this situation? You know, he, he acts as a, he's trying to put himself in a good place. I'm Laban, good try. But, yeah. you know, of course, we're looking at it from a different angle. Yeah. He is and trying so hard to be in the right here, but he's not. And Jacob puts him in his place. He does. Yeah. And, that, and he does it by just facts. Yes. I like that. He was upset and he finally stood up for himself. And he gave the facts, but he put Laban in his place. I, I typed here in my notes, he spoke truth. He did. The truth was hard to hear. And maybe he should have spoke truth beforehand. Maybe you shouldn't wait 20 years, you know, but because it came out that it's been in there for a while, mm-hmm. but it didn't come out with, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Embellished, you know, yeah. it was just straight fact truth. And that's the type of word that needs to be spoken. Laban did not want to hear it, but Laban knew it was the truth. And so, and then of course, we, that peace treaty, you know, between them, if you cross this line, I'm going to kill you type of thing. Uh, Okay. Can I bring up one more thing? Yeah, absolutely. When, um, uh, I turned too many pages. The night that Laban has the dream before he goes to Jacob, it really stood out to me um, that God told Laban, don't act out violently towards Jacob. Jacob did nothing. And so that verse that stands out to me that, um, that the Lord will fight our battles for us. The Lord will fight your battles for us in a dream of the person that was going to come against him. We don't yeah, have to stand and do anything. Good. The Lord will fight our battles. That's good. Very good. All right, let's move on here. Chapter 32. 
I know it's a little bit shorter chapter here, but let's, let's look here. As Jacob started on his way again, angels of God came to meet him. When Jacob saw them, he exclaimed, this is God's camp. So he named the place Maenaim. Then Jacob sent messengers ahead to his brother Esau, who was living in the region of Seir in the land of Edom. And he told them, give this message to my master Esau. Humble greetings from your servant Jacob. Until now I have been living with Uncle Laban. And now I own cattle, donkeys, flocks of sheep and goats, and many servants, both men and women. I have sent these messengers to inform my Lord of my coming, hoping that you will be friendly to me. After delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, We met your brother Esau, and he is already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. Jacob was terrified at the news. Because remember with us, the last time these two were together, Esau was going to take his brother's life. He divided his household. So Jacob was terrified at the news. He divided his household along with the flocks and herds and camels into two groups. He thought, if Esau meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other group can escape. Verse 9. Then Jacob prayed. Notice what he did first, and then notice what he did second. He divided his household into two groups, and then he prayed. O God of my grandfather Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, you told me, return to your own land and to your relatives, and you promised me, I will treat you kindly. I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to me, your servant. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owned nothing except a walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps. Oh, Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I am afraid that he is coming to attack me along with my wives and children. But you promise me I will surely treat you kindly, and I will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as the sands along the seashore, too many to count. Jacob stayed where he was for the night. Then he selected these gifts from his possessions to present to his brother, Esau. Uh, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. He divided these animals into herds and assigned each to different servants. Then he told his servants, go ahead of me with the animals, but keep some distance between the herds. He gave these instructions to the men leading the first group. When my brother Esau meets you, he will ask, whose servants are you? Where are you going? Who owns these animals? And you must reply, they belong to your servant Jacob, but they are a gift for his master Esau. Look, he is coming right behind us. Jacob gave the same instructions to the second and third herdsmen and to all who followed behind the herds. You must say the same thing to Esau when you meet him and be sure to say, look, your servant Jacob is right behind us. Jacob thought, I will try to appease him by sending gifts ahead of me. When I see him in person, perhaps he will be friendly to me. So the gifts were sent on ahead while Jacob himself spent that night in the camp. Verse 22. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. Then... This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name, the man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel. Because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Even today, the people of Israel do not eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. 
Kelly, you want to jump out of here right here? Okay. Um, <clears throat> so Pastor Steve brought it up a while ago, but um, if we'll remember kind of the dynamics here, when Jacob left Canaan 20 years ago, he had deceived his father and um, he wound up with his older brother's birthright and his blessing. And now he's returning home with four wives and 11 children. And when Esau last saw Jacob, he had promised that after their father died, he would kill his brother. And now he hears that Jacob is returning home after all this time. And in this chapter, you know, once again, we can see several assumptions. And how is Jacob operating? He's operating out of fear. He's making decisions based on his thinking instead of what the Lord has told him. You know, Amy has reminded us over and over tonight that God has already told Jacob what is going to happen and what he is going to do for him. But still, and even though Jacob has seen the Lord over and over do things for him over and over, he still is trying to figure this out in his own flesh and how to make this work out and who can I save, who can I protect, and, and, um, I, and then just using appeasement to, to try to soften the blow. And I looked up in Proverbs 19.6, it says, many seek favors from a ruler Everyone is the friend of the person who gives gifts. <laughs> yeah. There is no reason for him to divide the camp because God's promise is with him. And yeah. so we look at that and you might read it first and say, well, that's a wise thing to do. But there was no reason for him to do that. He does that because he's acting out in fear. That's why I emphasize that because he did that first and then he prayed. Then he prayed and then he trusted God. Yeah. God has already protected him and delivered him from Laban. I mean, that, that has already taken place. Fear overrides. Yeah. He saw angels. That's powerful, right? I mean, he literally was able to have the ability to see the angels because we know there are angels all around. And again, God's presence, God's protection, God's provision. One might think, and I'm not being hard on him because we are, we are the same way. Exactly. I even wrote here in my notes. <laughs> Fear is an unyielding bondage that must be met with courageous faith. How many times have we allowed fear to keep us in bondage? Instead of praying that prayer of courageous faith, we do that. So I'm not getting on him, but I'm I'm just I just see here these God's presence, God's provision. I mean, the ability to see that was just a, to me the goodness of God surrounding him and affirming. You are not moving by yourself. You are not taking these steps without my presence. You are not walking in the promise without me. I am with you. And so he's still learning this. Go ahead, Amy. Um, I had the having faith. We need not fear the enemy or whatever bad news may come their way. Faith is not what we see. When we have faith, it's not, I mean, it's what we don't see a lot of times. And so faith is relying on God, not our own self. Right. And he was relying on himself right there. Mm -hmm. And so it made me wonder why seeing angels, everything he had gone through. He knew Abraham's story. He knew Isaac's story. So why? And so it came to my mind, you know, we know God forgave him. Did Jacob forgive himself? Mm. Was good. he not allowing himself the forgiveness of God that he kept going back into his past? Mm. That he allowed himself to deceive again or be scared again or... Um, be too easy on someone, like giving Esau all the things to appease because, you know, he was not one to stand up. Um, but a guilty conscience, that led him to have fear, even again, and not trusting God. Um, he needed to believe in the forgiveness. When faith is crowded out by fear, we're prone to scheme and trust in our own resources. I'm so glad you, I put that same thing down here. Jo Jacob kept focusing on his past instead of looking ahead what God was doing yeah. and the promise unfolding. He kept focusing on that's good, Amy. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Kelly, anything else on that part? You want to take us into the wrestling match? Um, yeah, and I for? did want to just bring up his prayer because even though um, he's obviously not making all the greatest decisions. This is a beautiful, prayer, a beautiful prayer. And and it's one that, you know, we could do well to um 
pray in that same way. And, and I just thought it was beautiful because at the beginning of it, he recognizes his heritage with God through his grandfather and his father. And then he reminds God of the specific promises that God had made to to Jacob, not, not even to his grandfather and father, but there were specific promises that God had made to Jacob. And then he recognizes that he doesn't deserve any of the goodness of God. You know, that he's totally dependent on that. Then he honors God for all of the blessings he's received. He confesses his fears to God, and then he reminds God of the covenant that, that he is part of that covenant that has been passed from generation to generation. And so I just thought it's, I just think it's a beautiful prayer. It's powerful. I bolded mine and I highlighted in yellow verse number 10, where he said, I'm not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to me. Amen. Humility yeah. is coming into the picture there. Yeah. And he's under it. So you see this, I'm, I'm so grateful that God lets us see yeah. this story because our own lives, I mean, we see the story of Jacob, yeah. the, the ups and downs. You know, and how God's just helping him go through this. And, and there is growth. I said it last week, said it this week, because that is, it's a, it's, a, it's a great prayer. Yeah. Okay. All right, let's, one of you, go ahead and keep, keep moving there. Do you want to talk about the wrestling match? Um, I can. The, can I comment real quick Anything. on the prayer yeah, that absolutely. came to mind? Yeah. And I read it in the commentary and everything. And then Trinity, and she wanted to, she wasn't, get, my second daughter, she, she wasn't able to come tonight. She goes, Mom, give me a, a summary. And so I kind of went over a summary, and she said, I think it's funny that we always have to remind God of our promises. But she said, it's God's promises. He's God. And I'm like, you're right. And yes, we should, you know, we're supposed to speak the word. We're supposed to pray the word. We want to, you know, do that. But God is God. God was not going to let Esau come in and mess up his command, his promise, his purpose, his fulfillment. God was not going to let Esau do that. And so... God is God, and that promises. Um, The wrestling match. Um, When I was reading through this, um, the very first verse of the wrestling match, um, and when mine is, um, it has the man in parentheses. Um, Verse 22. uh, Nope. There you go. Thank you. But he rose up the same night and took his two wives, his two women servants, and his 11 sons and passed over the ford to Jabbok. Um, is that, that's not the wrestling match. 24. He gets 24. He gets left in the camp alone. And okay. a man came Thank and wrestled you. with him. Yeah. And Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him. To me, that sounds like the man was in offense and Jacob was in defense is what I was thinking. Okay. So. Yeah, basketball family at my house. <laughs> so I started thinking about that. Um, Jacob was defending himself because he didn't think he was worthy, right? Because he, he knew what he had done. And the, the man we know was God. Was rest, he was offending. He was trying to get Jacob. Come on, Jacob. Wake, you know, let's do this. And, and Jacob was, you know, kept, you know, being defending until... Um, he was battling himself. Oh, I lost it. I'm so sorry. It's okay. Do you have anything while I'm looking for it? Okay. <laughs> go um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I just see there this wrestling match as like uh, our transformation of going from who, who, we, who we are to who God wants us to be. And, and that it is like a wrestling match. It's, it's a battle because we are trying to hold on at the same time as we're trying to let go and that we're fighting to let the spirit have control while we're trying to drive the flesh out. And, um, so I, I can see how it's, it's a, a truly like a battle going on. Yeah. God in human form. We know this is a type of Christ could have been Jesus himself in this, in this wrestling match with Jacob. And that's very, I saw the same thing. Jacob did not start this match. God started this match. God came on the scene and started this. At any time, God could have overpowered him. But this wrestling match went on all night. Why? Because he's wrestling out of him that self-will, that deception, that scheming, that worldly strength, that worldly wisdom that Jacob had, you know, so many times fallen back on. So obviously God is, is having this go on. And so Jacob reveals in the fact that he endured through the night. 
you know, he, he held on until the very end. When his hip got placed out of socket, I'm not a wrestler. Some of you may be wrestlers, and so you'd be better than this. He knew he was defeated. So in my mind, don't get this picture of Jacob on top of the man, not letting the man go because he's overpowered him, but that he's hanging on in desperation and that he's not going to let go. And the prevailing part is that he endured through the night. The prevailing part is his transformation was able to take place. You've allowed this to happen. You've, you've held on all through the night, and now you're being changed. And so that's the picture we get of him you know, winning this. But Jacob knew, he knew in the moment that at any moment in time, that he could be overpowered. He asked his name, but Jacob, and, and you notice the name was not given because Jacob already knew, because that's why he named the place what he did. And so when you, when you get this picture of this wrestling match, again, I'm not a wrestler, I, I don't picture, you know, Jacob in this victory form where he's, you know, got the shoulders back, you know, of God, but in the sense that he's hurting, he's in pain, he's enduring, he's holding on, he's been changed, he's been transformed, but he's in desperation. I am not letting go. I'm not letting go until you bless me because he recognizes what's taken place because all that, can you imagine a wrestling match for all night long? Yeah. I mean, I, I wrestle with my grandsons for 30 seconds and I'm done, I'm toast, yeah. you know? Yeah, exactly. So just think about just think about that in itself all night long. Because I, it's a physical wrestling match. Yeah. And all night long, this was taking place. To me, that speaks to us in the picture of there was a lot that needed gotten out of him. Yeah. There, there, that, what an awesome picture of God doing a transforming work in our lives. Go ahead, Amy. Well, um, all of that, but that... Um, um, Jacob, like you said, was defending, you know, he was hanging on and then finally God made him weak. And then when he touched his hip yeah. bone, he made him weak. Then Jacob was like, nope, I'm getting the blessing. Yeah. So when we we're weak, we're strong because we know now we need God. We're right. not doing it on right. our own anymore. I've got to have God to get through this. Yeah. And so, um, and then, yes, that I put on here, Jacob had to get the, or God had to get the Jacob out of Jacob. That's perfect. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. Which is interesting as we move yeah. on, something I saw. But anything, um, of course, his name was changed to Israel. Two, two thoughts on that, that Israel is, means one who struggles with God. Some take it as God rules. They both kind of seem to fit because we see Israel, you know, as they do struggle with God. But in the end, you know. God is sovereign and God rules. Let's continue on into uh, time-wise. I think we're okay. Let's go ahead and look at uh, chapter 33 as we, as we move on. Now, let's see how he moves after this has taken place through the night. Then Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and his two servant wives. He put the servant wives and their children at the front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then Jacob went on ahead as he approached his brother. He bowed to the ground seven times before him. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they both wept. We could probably stop right there, but I'm going to keep reading. That already speaks volumes. Mm -hmm. Then Esau looked at the women and children and asked, Who are these people with you? These are the children God has graciously given to me, your servant. Jacob replied, then the servant wives came forward with their children. They bowed before him. Next came Leah with her children. They bowed before him. Finally, Joseph and Rachel came forward and bowed before him. And what were all the flocks and herds I met as I come, Esau asked. Jacob replied, they are a gift, my lord, to ensure your friendship. My brother, I have plenty, Esau answered. Keep what you have for yourself. But Jacob insisted, no, I found, if I found favor with you, please accept this gift from me. And what a relief to see your friendly smile. It is like seeing the face of God. Please take this gift I have brought you, for God has been very gracious to me. I have more than enough. And because Jacob insisted, Esau finally accepted the gift. Well, Esau said, let's be going. I will lead the way. But Jacob replied, you can see, my Lord, that some of the children are very young, and the flocks and herds have their young too. If they are driven too hard, even for one day, all the animals could die. Please, my Lord, go ahead of your servant. We will follow slowly at a pace that is comfortable for the livestock and the children. I will meet you at Seir. All right, Esau said. 
but at least let me assign some of my men to guide you and protect you. Jacob responded, that's not necessary. It's enough that you received me warmly, my Lord. So Esau turned around and started back to Seir that same day. Jacob, on the other hand, traveled on to Succoth. There he built himself a house and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place was named Succoth, which means shelters. Later, having traveled all the way from Paddan Aram, Jacob arrived safely at the town of Shechem in the land of Canaan. There he set up camp outside the town. Jacob bought the plot of land where he camped from the family of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver. And there he built an altar and named it El Elohi Israel. Who wants to start? Okay. Um, if not, no, go ahead. Okay. Okay, the main thing for me on this chapter is something that um, I'm going to refer back to um, something that really spoke to me in Genesis 27, and I think I um, said, don't forget about this um, this verse. And if if you, I'll read it, and it's um, Isaac's blessing for Esau. In Genesis 27, 40, um, when Isaac was blessing Esau, he said... You will live by your sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. And in this chapter, to me, it's just so beautiful because I see that Esau has finally broken free. And it's not how we suppose that it might be. There's no battle that was fought. There's no return of his birthright. But there is freedom from the hurt and the pain that was caused by what Esau lost. There's freedom from hatred for his brother, and there's freedom from his past. And um, it's so beautiful because it says that Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And then even Genesis 33:10, Jacob says, And what a relief to see your friendly smile, Esau. It is like seeing the face of God. And um, we all are part of families. And um, at different times, there are different squabbles in families. There may even be time when you're estranged from part of your family or whatever. But I love the picture of forgiveness here and the peace between these brothers because um, Proverbs 17, 9 says, Love prospers when fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. And Colossians 3, 13 says, Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. And if you look up what fault or offense is, a fault is a weakness or a failing, a mistake. And an offense can be just an act of displeasure or it can be something that causes moral outrage. But we can forgive any of these things if we choose to. And if we're dealing with family, we should definitely try because regret is a powerful teacher. And sometimes we get many, many years to ponder that. And so I feel like if this brother could forgive losing everything, he lost his birthright, he lost his blessing, and he was still able to forgive. And so of anybody here, he's truly free in this story. I love that because that's what you see jumps out out at you. Esau has changed. We haven't been talking about him for the last 20 years, but he's changed. And that verse when it says he ran to meet him and embraced him and threw his arms around him, what an incredible picture of reconciliation. Now, I know reconciliation because... When we look at this, we say, because we all have this in our families, I'm certain that we probably all have some type of story where there's something that's been very difficult and it's been hard and it's been divisive. And sometimes we may look at this and and we may say, well, I need to forget. Esau forgave before all of this happened. So that is true. You have to forgive. But it does take both sides for the reconciliation to take part. If one side is saying, well, you need to be like Esau. You know, you need to be like this. You need to be like this. And they're not seen in themselves. You see the humility here, too, of Jacob. There is... Still that fear, you know, we've talked enough about that, that underlying fear. But also the humility. You saw all the times the terms that he's using, his master, his servant. Jacob is the one that is over his brother. You know, we know that. But we see the humility in his heart. Reconciliation is a powerful thing. But reconciliation takes 
both parties. Yeah. Seeing themselves, seeing what needs to happen, what needs to be done, acting in forgiveness, walking in that, embracing that. And uh, here's a beautiful story to help us that reconciliation does happen. It does happen when we yield to God. Go ahead, Amy. Well, I think it just came to me. You know, you keep saying this is the year of families coming back yeah. home. Yeah. That Absolutely. follows it right there, yeah. families coming back home. Yeah. Um, in one of my commentaries, it talked about a brother, you know, two brothers fighting. It's one of the worst um, estrangement when you have two siblings fighting. Mm -hmm. And so right there is a great example that it is possible. Yeah. It is possible. It is possible. Yeah. Um, I don't have anything else other, I mean, on that part other than how Jacob, even though um, Esau is begging him, you know, come with me, I'll help you, help you. Jacob doesn't go with him. And Amy, what did Jacob say to him, though? Jacob is still acting in that old way. Yeah. He said, we will follow you to Seir. Mm -hmm. Instead of following him to Seir, Jacob goes to Succoth. Mm -hmm. And there, they're supposed to be in the promised land, not supposed to be dwelling right here he was supposed to go to Bethel isn't that not what God said to do go to Bethel but now he and and the word here meaning shelter it's given us the picture of a house mm -hmm. they were supposed to be in tents not building houses yeah. because a house says I'm going to dwell here for a while I'm going to set up camp for a while I'm going to stay for a while that's why we said earlier slow on the go yeah. right here God doesn't want his sacrifice right now God wants his obedience what does yeah. the scripture tell us Obedience is better than sacrifice. And so, and then he does move, but he goes to Shechem. <laughs> I'm like, Jacob. I mean, he needed Google Maps or something. I mean, yeah. you're not where you're supposed to be. Yeah. yeah. And it's important that we remember that he's not going where God wants him to go because in the next chapter, it's not good. <laughs> yes. And if he were in the right place, those things would not have happened. Yeah. I didn't think about this till today to one of the commentaries spoke this. Uh, not going to build a theology on this at all. But what name are we still using here after God has already changed his name? Jacob. We're still using Jacob because he's still acting like Jacob. I put down here, it is difficult being both Jacob and Israel because God wanted him to be Israel, yeah. not Jacob. I haven't counted it up yet, but it was stated in that commentary that from here on out in Scripture, the name Jacob is used more than the name Israel in referring to him. And I don't know. I mean, it just stuck out to me. I'm like, if there is anything to that, God wants him to be Israel. Yeah. That's the promise. That's who he is. So anyway, just, just found that interesting. But uh, yeah, that's, that's how I ended too. It's like, uh, he's, we're not quite there yet. But still, though, you said it earlier, Amy. In all of this, God is still at work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. God's working with you and I. We have free will, free choice. But God's working with us in order to help us get to the place where he wants us to be. And a promise. But we've got to make, we've got to make the right decisions in order to get to that place. We better stop because we, we went yeah. long here tonight. Thank you again uh, just, just for your being here with us this evening.